when I was at Google with Gen Z that would basically ask them, you know, if you could have a pair of shoes in, in Roblox versus a pair of physical shoes or equal financial value of Robux, let's say, versus dollars, which would you pick? And obviously in Gen Z, everyone gravitates towards the, the digital version of what they were being offered, which is not true for, for preceding generations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is Rising, with host Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kizu, a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Floors Rising. With me today, uh, I have Nathaniel Nadaf Hafri and Karthik Thayagaranjan from Lasso Labs. Guys, uh, welcome to the show. Great to be here. I think that was probably the best anyone has ever pronounced both of our names. <laughs> yeah, this is the... Uh, My last name we... gets butchered all the time. So that's, that was great. Yeah. Tell us, how did you get into NFCs? I think it probably started in maybe late 2020, early 2021, just doing some experiments on our own versus collectors. I actually at the time was working inside of Google um, and inside of Google's incubator specifically, which is a, a group called Area 120. And I was building creator tools that were not designed to be Web3 native at all. It was like a very Web2 instantiation of an idea. But what we were trying to do was give creators the toolkit that any small business owner would expect. So sort of like direct-to-consumer tools powered by Google. And as the NFT boom started to happen, a lot of our users began asking us if we were going to support NFTs. And I was really ignorant to the concept at the time. You know, I had kind of done what a lot of people did, which was trade ETH and, and BTC in like the 2017 cycle, and then really forgotten about crypto, been only peripherally involved for the intervening years. And so this was kind of like my return to, to, the, to the subject matter. And so I spent a lot of time going down the rabbit hole, um, just trying to get smarter myself so that I could have a perspective on whether we, we would support NFTs with that product, which was called Kaya, and a little nod to Kaya Toast, by the way. Kaya with a Q, but close enough. Um, awesome. And so, you know, Karthik and I, we just sort of started talking about why we found digital objects so interesting and how we thought about Gen Z as this, you know, emerging digital native consumer population. And that took us down our own path of experimentation and just couldn't stop thinking about NFTs for many months. And so decided that we wanted to leave our jobs at, at Google and at Netflix and started Lasso roughly a year ago. Well, why don't you give a quick, uh, I guess, intro of what what Lasso Labs has built and, and what is the, the product just for our, for our listeners? Yeah, so the the vision for Lasso is really to make it easy to understand what one can do, starting with NFTs, but eventually with any digital object. And so we were always very focused on the non-speculative uses for NFTs. I think that's just where we as a team have, have gravitated naturally. So the product that you could use today, just to make it extremely concrete, you'd come, it's a dApp, connect your wallet, and we will help you visualize anything you can do with the assets that you hold. That's kind of the first step. So that could be airdrop or mint eligibility. It could be access to events or digital communities. Uh, it could be governance participation based on tokens that you hold or qualification for discounts, for merch or for other products, this whole range of things. And the idea is to first power that journey. So help you stay on top of all the things that you can do with the assets that you currently hold. And then also to 
move into this discovery phase where if there are NFTs that you find interesting but don't own and you want to follow, you can use Lastfoot to do that. And then also to discover new projects or new utility activations and drops that we think you might find interesting based on the sort of concept of wallet-aware personalization. So that, that's actually the consumer packaging that that we're live with now. And I'll pass it to Karthik maybe to talk about how we're doing that and some of the data plumbing under the hood. Yeah, so you know, our, our main focus, just to zoom out a little bit, throughout our careers have been to combine various data silos seamlessly to power new use cases and, and, and products. So Nathaniel always approaches these things from a creator perspective. And NFTs were a phenomenal step function in um, monetization of creativity. Um, and on my end, essentially looking at uh, combining these data silos seamlessly were super intriguing. You know, crypto has been notorious for poor user experience and it's hard to navigate for mainstream users. So essentially a way to help use data to make the world of digital objects more accessible uh, and push forward on non-speculating use cases seems super intriguing to us. And you know, as a result, um, you know, making use of um, composability, interoperability that a shared ledger can provide for membership, community building, gaming, and other use cases, we wanted to really move these non-speculative use cases forward. And that was roughly the genesis uh, of Lasso. And so at its core, we have this data platform that seamlessly combines on-chain events, you know, transactions, activity that wallets uh, pseudonymously sort of do on-chain, and a various off-chain sources, starting with utility. You know, we consume various forms of off-chain social uh, data, such as you know, Twitter, Discord, uh, project microsites to start with. And then we combine um, and extract information out of this that pertains to creator announcements, uh, project updates and essentially announcements of new use cases. And then we combine that with the on-chain data to build this really rich knowledge graph. Uh, we think that we are building one of the first few knowledge graphs that's centered on non-speculative -spec use cases and the usefulness of these digital objects beyond merely trading or, or flipping them. And we think that it provides a really powerful um, focal point from which we can really personalize and help with discovery, making it more accessible to mainstream users. I call the word non-speculative. Right, you mentioned that several times. Um, what is your guys' view of like what non-speculative use cases are today for the NFTs that we 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 have today? Because um, I noticed that um, the services that that Lasso Labs currently provides are. From from my standpoint, when I when I read it, largely uh, maybe not speculative, but definitely like aiding um, or adjacent to speculation, right? Things like airdrops and mints and 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 events and 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 these things are all you know surrounding kind of the 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 the, the speculation. It, it's a great question, very multi layered. So we can spend a few minutes here, but I think. There's a few different perspectives that we have on this. The first of which is our long-term belief is that digital objects will be a huge part of the global economy and will have many different permutations, right? And NFTs are the primitive that enables that, but that may not be it may not be something that we recognize in five, 10 years' time, right? Because they'll be so baked into the fabric of, of our lives as tools, not just as representations of art or even something like a PFP but we'll have much broader, more multifaceted uses. And that's kind of the idea that, that got us excited about Lasso in the, in the early days too, right? Just to, to take another step back, 
We had done a lot of research when I was at Google with Gen Z that would basically ask them, you know, if you could have a pair of shoes in, in Roblox versus a pair of physical shoes or equal financial value of Robux, let's say, versus dollars, which would you pick? And obviously, in Gen Z, everyone gravitates towards the, the digital version of what they were being offered, which is not true for, for preceding generations. So if you kind of take that hypothesis and you carry it through where it's likely to go, and also with Gen Alpha to come, it seems pretty uncontroversial to us that the same way you have physical property that can do things for you that's functional, that's not speculative, that will also be true for digital property. And that's kind of like the broader thesis behind, behind Lasso and what we're building. Now, you're completely right that today, first of all, the market that we're in is heavily financialized and heavily speculative. And we actually don't think that's a bad thing. So there's not a value judgment on speculative versus utility-focused NFTs for us. We're more interested in the latter, but we actually think the former is, is useful, specifically because you need activation energy with anything new, any new technology, any new movement, any new paradigm. And so for us, in the early days, speculation is also what brought us to the market. And then we saw so much more of what could be done with this technical standard. And I think that's true for a lot of people. They may come because they think it's a way to make extra money or to, you know, to have sort of diversification of a portfolio from an investment standpoint. But that's not ultimately why a lot of people stick around. And it's certainly not what will get the mainstream to adopt NFTs or whatever we call them in a few years um, at greater scale. So I think that's that's kind of what we're trying to think about now is meeting the market where it is, but also building for where we think it, it will and in fact should go. Today, airdrops, mints, and so forth, if those are occurring, yes, there is upward pressure on the price of the NFT in many cases. So it is indirectly speculative value. But think about something like governance, right? Being able to participate in a community based on token ownership or virtual goods, maybe being able to use your PFP as your avatar in a virtual world or a game, um, or even something like having some creative control over um, over an episode of a short video series like White Rabbit, which is you know, one of my favorite projects, that is not really speculative at all. And if you look at the prices of those assets, I mean, they're they're de minimis relative to, to many other collections. So I think that's what we're trying to lean into is NFTs that are functional in some way. And that's why we use the language of useful digital objects. And that's what we're trying to build towards ultimately. Do you guys have any theses regarding that in terms of like... Um... What what are going to be some of the turning points you think that will really spur that adoption? Is it going to come mostly off from from kind of offline, online, off chain, on chain, or or some combination of the both of of both? So I think from from my perspective on it, right now we're seeing a lot of activity in the categories you would expect. So that's things like airdrops, mints, merch, which is is sort of like a meme at this point that a lot of these collections merch becomes the utility. But it is a very real use case, right? Having a token that confers some sort of financial uh, benefit or discount for the holder. And then um, I, I think where we're not seeing as much, but although we have a very high growth rate in these categories, things like governance, virtual goods, again, the gaming use case that you mentioned, and then things like IP rights, which is another type of utility that we haven't really talked about. Any sort of licensing right or intellectual property protection that can eventually be tied to an NFT we're not there from a sort of jurisdictional legal precedent standpoint today, but we very much believe that that's something that will be part of, of the future of digital objects. I think that's an area where it, it could be massively impactful for how people view NFTs and, and what they evolve into. But to, to answer your question, I mean, there's a few different ways that we get to, to greater scale here. One of which is think about gaming as a category. You were mentioning the gaming use case earlier. 
it's this is an area where obviously there's been a ton of capital deployed into blockchain-based games. We haven't seen a lot of that realized yet. And there's a lot of speculation as to when we will. And hopefully that's that's in the next you know few months to a year. But think about items. Everyone talks about this idea of interoperability, and Karthik mentioned it earlier, but taking possessions from one game world or one virtual world to the next, and also just being able to own the items, own the avatars that you utilize in those in those contexts, which again, I think many of us realize is a huge, a huge drawback to the way gaming has been done, where the platform itself owns all of the items. And so at the end of the day, you have things that you believe or your possessions can be taken from you very quickly. So the sort of like mitigating of platform risk in the gaming category, great use case for adoption of, of digital objects with utility at greater scale. The other, frankly, is things like loyalty programs um, and brands leaning into this space more. Obviously, the market is is in a much more challenging set of waters than we were in you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, for sure. But you still have large brands like Starbucks and others building towards Web3 enabled loyalty programs. And all of those NFTs effectively are, are designed to just have some sort of utility for the holder. You're not actually interacting because you think the price of Starbucks Odyssey stamps is going to go up necessarily. You're doing it because you believe in the downstream benefit of free coffee or these exclusive experiences or whatever the case might be. Now, those loyalty points, the reason they're better than traditional loyalty programs is they are tradable. You have secondary liquidity, right? So that, that is in a virtue of them. But it may not be the primary virtue of them because you can build this sort of interlocking ecosystem of loyalty programs because of the fact that all of these points are on chain and unless there's composability that you wouldn't have with Web2 loyalty programs. So gaming loyalty, I think two massive movements that are heavily invested and just primed to, to take off. That would be very meaningful for this category. And it's also something where we can we can leverage a brand that has an affinity from a customer standpoint outside of Web3 like a Starbucks or even like a Nike with Dot Swoosh and others to bring on a new class of consumer who's frankly just not on chain today. When you really look at who's active with NFTs at the moment, it's more your classic degen trader profile. And again, there's utility that's being traded even within that subset of, of individuals, but it may not look the same as it would if you know sort of your, your mainstream consumer actually found some value on chain. And that's one of the things that we're excited about for the coming year. Gaming, the experience in the you know, past two years have kind of shown is that uh, sort of technology is kind of subservient to to culture, right? And um, and crypto culture is heavily speculative. Basically, everyone that's coming to the space has become uh, sort of subsumed in this speculation culture that currently uh, and I guess always has been in in, in crypto. It is not really like a consumer uh sort of game relationship it's more like an investor like like company relationship um it's it's a very different type of relationship than it is it is definitely a uphill battle especially given all of the examples that we've seen thus far you know so far what we've seen is um crypto native games that are not fully developed yet but are miniature games by themselves the main uh sort of task there is there's an NFT collection that is released. People collect all sorts of tokens and cards from there. And then those confer some amount of benefits or rarity uh, to a player in a game, right? So it's always token first or object first, and then the game comes second. That's kind of been the crypto gaming culture. And with regard to, you know, you made a good point with all of these, uh, you know, traditional gaming uh, folks, 
flowing into crypto. They've come in and adopted crypto culture for sure, but this is we're very early here, um, and there's a lot to be seen. And with the amount of investment that's going into games, AAA gaming, um, gaming-based sort of uh, L2s, uh, we've really not even scratched the surface there yet. And so the thesis here is instead of going object first, um, everyone is going to go in and play the game. Everyone is going to go in. The game is the utility. And within the game itself, as you might have played a bunch of open world games and various different categories of these, um, you will see that there is a bunch of reward system where points are collected, bunch of in-game items, bunch of trophies. All of these, like Nathaniel mentioned, are attached and tied to the platform itself. But so much more is possible if we can compose these assets on chain, they're interoperable with other worlds, um, and the users themselves own it. And so we believe in a future where users own these assets. There's some amount of liquidity or there's some amount of interoperability where they can actually sell these assets in other worlds. And so that definitely brings forth some amount of speculation. But we think that we're heading into a world where um, there's going to be a bunch of these digital objects where each collection or each game is going to have a very high cardinality, where there is scarcity. You, you, you definitely need to have scarcity to impose some real world behavior on the digital side of things. But it's not scarcity enough that being able to collect a specific item or being able to you know, hoard a specific item is going to be financially lucrative. It is going to be more on sort of the entertainment side of things, um, what game typically provide. And so we think high cardinality, low unit costs, um, more about actually enjoying the game, more about the narrative within the game itself, rather than being able to sort of make more money or financialize the game. So that's where we think it's headed. Again, like you said, very early days, it is a very financialized space. And whenever there's liquidity or whenever there is an asset that can be sold on a marketplace, there's always speculation and that will always exist. But um, as more and more of these games come in that are fully realized, fully developed, where you know users go in and, and want to play the game for the sake of playing the game, I think that will change things um, quite a bit. One more thing I want to add is um, even the early uh, you know, entry points for traditional gaming studios into NFTs was always, again, speculation and financialization, right? So the main reason why traditional gaming culture had such a huge backlash towards crypto gaming is they, they you know, suspected that this was yet another form of, um, you know, predatory monetization of essentially gamers, right? Just like loot boxes in the traditional world, you... Um, they, they, they presume that these gaming studios would charge players more than the cost or the unit cost of the game itself. And so the main backlash is here's yet another way or a scammy way of, of uh, you know, gaming studios and gaming creators to essentially exploit users and gamers. But we, we will see that as things move forward and as more and more of these business models, more and more of these NFT monetization structures um, crystallize, we'll see that we will move away from that particular culture. and. Uh, people will appreciate the ability to play in one game, earn an in-game item, and basically just port it seamlessly into another game. So we've not seen these use cases take off yet, but when they do, it will become clear to mainstream users and, and existing gaming culture that there is something to be had here. I read somewhere that um, uh, you guys have a substantial uh, amount of data already on like the top 10,000 sort of NFT um, projects. Can, can you talk a bit about... Um, how do you guys index that and how do you guys actually make sure that that's accurate? Yeah, you know, um, there is there is a human in the loop and I'll, I'll go into a little more detail there. Um, 
So our, the, the basic crux is that we have a highly automated system that essentially um, scrapes uh, social media. And as I said, for utility data in particular, we look at Twitter heavily, we look at Discord, we look at project microsites for the roadmap um, and a bunch of these data sources where creators and community members are talking about the utility behind a project. And then this data then essentially flows into our data platform that where there's a, a bunch of automated tagging that goes in and tries to figure out which snippet of text is actually talking about utility and which one isn't. And then that essentially enters our system, goes through another model where we extract information or metadata. If it's an event, you know, you might be interested in uh, what project it is associated with, what is the venue, what is the eligibility criteria to get in. If it is an airdrop, you might be interested in the smart contract address behind it or the link where you can redeem it. And so we extract all of these uh, pieces of metadata and then final step is currently it does um, go into human in the loop where one of us is essentially checking and reviewing um, these records to see if um, you know the metadata that we've extracted is accurate but most importantly we click on links we go in to check if there it is a phishing link given that you know the space is notorious for a lot of uh, phishing and scams we want to make sure that trust and safety is top of mind for us when users are clicking on links on last one. We want to make sure that every piece of utility that is entering our surface um, is uh, what it says it is. And so uh, for now, trust and safety and accuracy are the two biggest factors why there's a human in the loop. But as the space scales, as the number of records go up, um, you know, looking at each one of these individually is going to be unscalable for us. And so there are several ways in which we are trying to think about that is one is, you know, having creators and community members come in where there's a form of user-generated content on Lasso where, you know, if a community member or for that matter, creator sees that a project or collection is missing a piece of utility, they can directly add it to the surface and vote on it, or they can come in and add remote verify pieces of utility based on some, you know, membership criteria. Um, so that is one way of doing it. We, we, Thought of starting as a token curated registry where we could have an incentive system where you know essentially creators can come in or community members can come in and curate utility. But we found that a lot of these TCRs are ghost towns to start with and often have a bootstrapping problem. And given that you know in single player mode, we found that we had enough uh, data chops to essentially uh, put together a core data set that can keep this uh, you know going in a sustainable capacity. We decided to go the automated route first, and so far it's worked out for us quite quite well. Is the aim to create this kind of search engine of like NFT utility, um, uh, where you guys kind of scrape all the all the socials, or or is it to or is this more just like a bootstrapping method to and then to 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 get to some kind of sort of velocity where sort of UGC can take over and sort of all the all the projects have to be sort of on your platform. And that's a that's a that's a good question. Uh, we 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 think of ourselves as uh, an NFT discovery platform or search engine, like you said, right? Um, we think that as utility uh, as NFTs go utility first, or for that matter, a lot of these use cases grow exponentially. We think someone is going to go to a platform with a specific use case in mind, and they will want to search for that use case, and then decide what NFTs grant them access to that use case and purchase it. Sort of, you know, the typical model for how e-commerce works these days. Um, and and so we want to create the knowledge graph that can power that. And so to that end, we think that long term, um, it's always going to be more sustainable to go autom automated. And so we think that. 
the, the data platform piece that we have is going to power this knowledge graph. And so the UGC, where that comes in is, even though we have a data platform, even though you know a lot of our tagging and information extraction is automated, we will not get everything 100% right. There's always going to be you know, uh, metadata issues or trust and safety issues where our, our platform picks something up that that's not accurate. And so we think that there's always room to engage the community and for that matter, creators, for them to basically come in um, and, you know, in the basic form of it, they might just be able to rate utility or essentially mark it as valid or invalid. That's just to start with. That also helps the system get better with reinforcement learning. But in the future, also creators can uh, come in and if this is the most comprehensive platform for utility, they can come in and directly announce or for that matter, add forms of utility and metadata directly onto the lasso surface itself. And we think that if you create an engaging platform, you will have brands and creators come in and, and actually curate their pages, um, verify new and novel forms of utility that the platform is picking up. And in a lot of cases, um, just to zoom out a little bit, we think given the interoperable and composable nature of these on-chain assets, the creator or the original brand may not even be the ones that are you know, curating or adding pieces of utility for their project. The community might be self-sustaining at that point. And we think that there's still room for them to come in and partake and approve. Um, for example, you can have uh, a form of record on Lasso that says creator verified utility or creator approved utility. So we're thinking of various forms in which we can engage um, you know, these various forms of collectors and community members directly on the surface. But at its core, it's always going to be automated because that's how we think that it will scale. Just a, a couple of points to add on that. Our, our ultimate goal is to be the source of truth for this information, as Karthik said. And so that means having as much coverage as possible. And if you think about the current way that we're, we're gathering this data and processing it, it does, it means that it has to be introduced, the, the record, the utility has to be introduced by the creator, by the brand in one of those public forums that, that Karthik alluded to. One of the things that would be really interesting in the future though, is if there is a, an upcoming drop that's not public yet, for that to be introduced on Lasso sort of in advance of the public communication, that's where the UGC bit and having the supply side, the creators and the brands could be really valuable. And now we've tried to constrain the problem as much as we can, just because it's early days for us and we're a small team. And so that's why we began with single player product on the collector side or the demand side, heavily using automation to build the inventory. Because again, I think a lot of marketplaces that get started, they try to bootstrap both sides simultaneously and it just never goes anywhere because you have that, that fundamental cold start issue. For us though, if we can expand from single player mode, heavily automated to both sides of the market with a UGC component or a community component, that, that feels to us like the way that we could really get an interesting flywheel going. And then not just be at the top of the funnel for discovering the utility, but also moving down the funnel to the redemptions natively on Lasso as well. Because what you have right now is this kind of weird, some things are on-chain, some things are off-chain. So eligibility is on-chain, but conversion and the promotion is off-chain. And if, if you can ultimately simplify and aggregate what is currently a complex and fragmented user journey, we think that's extremely valuable for users. And that's that's essentially what we're trying to build towards. I'm wondering whether you, know, you guys can, can just share maybe some other learnings maybe maybe things that surprised you things that maybe uh would not i guess to to a general um uh, user be be obvious or, or maybe even something that's um uh, you know against what what common yeah maybe i'll, I'll give one and I, I suspect karthik has a has a different one but we actually started out our mvp was heavily built around search 
And Karthik mentioned this at the beginning, but our belief is that having all this off-chain signal actually means we have a much broader knowledge graph to draw on for search, for personalization, for algorithmic discovery, for all these things, which is a big part of the future of the product. But if you'd used Lasso three or four months ago, you would have just seen you know, a, a huge search bar as a big piece of the hero real estate in the app. And our view was this is, you know, this is an amazing, kind of very open experience. You can come in, you can, you can search for anything that your heart desires. You could look for things that are totally generic, like typing in basketball, and we return to you basketball or sports-related collections. So all this kind of like flexible search query um, functionality that you wouldn't get from other marketplaces that were just purely using on-chain signals. You could search for collections and assets, but that was it. And basically, we heard really unequivocally from users that search was not a useful starting point for them, mainly because they just didn't know what to put into the search box. And there were a lot of questions similar to what what the two of you have been asking around what does utility mean? What are the different types of utility? How should I think about Lasso? Where is this different? And so we leaned more into a feed paradigm that I think Karthik, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about. And that's where the, some of the discovery insights came from, too, because we very much started with this idea of search and then also the, the portfolio management view. So having all of your assets in one place, showing you all the utility tied to them, I think that's like a very core user journey for us. But what we've tried to move towards now is, is based on feedback from users who were saying, I actually really want to use these off-chain signals to discover things I'm interested in that I, I haven't found NFTs for or just to understand how these assets can be used in ways that I, I previously didn't know. Um, and that's that's more in the like the feed paradigm that you see in Lasso today. That's an evolution that we've had over the past three or three or so months. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. And the the one surprising thing that you know um, we we found again may not actually be surprising given the whole you know debate about speculation versus non-speculation here, but um, we found that you know first when we launched the beta product to the first set of users, we wanted to put each utility record front and center where you know, they would either go to a collection or they would look at their wallet and we would surface a new utility that was announced on the project or something that kind of is more active at the moment. But what we saw is a lot of collectors um, essentially want to come in and actually look at the bird's eye view of utility per collection as a form of trying to understand if the community is vibrant or not, which we thought was super interesting. Um, less about, I'm actually interested in redeeming or collecting this NFT for this particular form of utility, for this airdrop, or for that matter, this particular merch item, and more about what has this project done from a track record perspective in the past, just to understand what this project will do in the future to know if you know I'm actually sort of uh, buying into a community that is vibrant or not. So a lot of users are using utility as sort of a proxy for community health, which we thought was, was super interesting. And so as a result, you know, we're trying to put a lot of those features front and center. And you know, to, to your point, we don't think of it as as um, you know, on-chain versus, we don't think of it as a speculative data versus non-speculative data. We think that there's place for both in the product. And so to that end, to satisfy a lot of core user journeys now, we have a lot of stats, we have volume information, we have floor price information. That's always going to be core to the NFT space. And we don't want to shy away from that. And so that is always layered in. But in our collections view, we want to provide rich metadata that is powered by our sophisticated data platform around what is the health of this collection from a perspective of utility being introduced, what does the roadmap look like, and we 
to pull in more and more structured fields there? Can we do sophisticated on-chain analysis to figure out what an OG, what did the OG score of a collection? What parts of the original minters basically held onto the collection? How much is it flipped versus what fraction of the collection is still being held on a daily basis? So we combine all of the, these pieces of information to also provide more rich context about each project, so that creators, uh, so that collectors can have that be surfaced to them when making a purchase decision. Is there uh, is there a favorite NFT? or NFT project that, that you guys have that? I, I think for me, uh, there are a couple that stand out. I, I really do think the White Rabbit project, I don't know if, if the two of you are familiar with it, but People Pleasers involved in that. It's the Shibuya studio put it out. It's a animated sort of anime series, short video episodes. The NFTs are called producer passes. And the, the artwork, the aesthetics, the story, all top quality, just really amazingly done. But the virtue of the NFT is that you actually can vote on certain creative decisions at the end of, of episodes and, and effectively burn the NFT in so doing. Just really interesting creative experimentation and again, kind of performed at, at the highest level. So that's one that I always like and talk about a fair amount. And right now I'm super into this project called Memory Supply. You can check it out, memory.supply. Um, a couple of different artists associated with that, including an artist named Roswell. It's really interesting work, essentially sort of modular the way QQL was. You design your own floppy disk uh, and, and sort of mod it with these different sticker packs. And um, they're using an ecosystem of third-party artists, including um, Terrell Jones and others, to make that more of this sort of open participatory experience. I think it does a really nice job of leaning into composability too. So that's one that is top of mind right now. I uh, I started with the original utility NFT, I guess, which is ENS, uh, which is quite utility forward, um, and then branched into membership passes. So I think I think ENS is a phenomenal concept on the liquidity side. You know, we've spoken about speculative and non-speculative use cases, and even though ENS's main use case is the reverse mapping kind of human readable names. I, I kind of hear people all the time come in and say, I bought this domain 10 years ago, or I own this domain, and I get these emails, I get people reaching out saying that, you know, I would like to pay uh, this amount of money for this domain or vice versa. And so there's no liquidity for DNS for, you know, because it's not on chain. And, you know, if, when you look at it on the from an ENS perspective, both being liquidity on open having liquidity on OpenSea, as well as other um, kind of on-chain history and provenance, it's really unique how um, that particular NFT took off there, and you can actually go and buy, uh, essentially, your human-readable name on-chain, and also understand what it's worth at any point of time, because people can make offers to you on all of these marketplaces. So I thought that was super intriguing. And then, obviously, as I said, branch into membership passes, gaming, virtual worlds like Parallel Alpha, Treeverse, uh, and Decentraland. Despite uh, recent backlash, um, Think Proof is a great example of you know building a strong brand, anchoring on value and utility for holders. FWB is another example. And so really, really like all of these utility-forward projects that are actually experimenting and pushing community building uh, to the next level. Cool. Um, it's not often that... Uh... <laughs> The project someone mentions is um, I had completely no idea about. So Nathaniel, congratulations. I had no idea about the two projects you just mentioned. And I don't think that's ever happened for any of our guests. So uh, yeah, that I won't freeze The next alpha I will have. I'm sorry to I apologize. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Um, no, Nathaniel, Kalik, it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you guys on the, on the show. Thank you so much for having us. 
Thank you for joining me for this episode of Floor is Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow. And give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor is Rising. You can reach out to us or send us a question. Just send us a DM at Floor is Rising.